How's it going? This is Ty, and this is episode 46 of the Fiction and Copy Decoded podcast, and I'd like to welcome you, and I do. All right, before we get started, I had mentioned that in the blog post that introduced this, that this was going to be a slightly less range flashback. It's not going to be like two years and years ago. Actually, it's going to be back to a couple of weeks, and I want to talk about a little bit about how our D&D campaign is going and things that I've learned from it about a lot of things. Life, you can learn a lot about life and writing and work and business from D&D as well. So I want to try not to make this as long as I think it might be, but I think this will not be a short one for sure because I'm probably going to get rambling because I want to start at the beginning of the campaign to hit some highlights about how things went, and what I had personally learned from it based on playing D&D because of things about my character and things of that nature. So, as well as what had happened uh, recently that really impacted me and why it impacted me the way it did. So, without further ado, let's get to it. Okay, uh, first of all, a little bit of background. Well, first, before that first, I don't know exactly what I'm going to title this episode, so I guess I'll just have to worry about that after the recording's over. Anyway, uh, okay, this particular campaign that I'm involved with now is uh, only my second ever campaign playing D&D. So other than these two campaigns, I'd never played Dungeons & Dragons before at all. And my brother, who's the DM, like game leader, dungeon master, told me basically that role-playing was going to be a really major facet of the campaign, which kind of freaked me out. Especially because of how it started. Uh, I'm going to try to stay away from D&D buzzwords in case you're not familiar, but I'm going to also have to mention them so that if you are familiar, that it will make sense. It will make sense to you, and I'll do the best that I can, because I really don't know everything, to talk about it. Okay, my character is an Azamar. So basically, they're almost like half or part angel. He's almost like partially angel in some form. Okay, so he's also a warlock. Uh, he's also has a celestial patron, which I thought was kind of cool. And he's... Uh, Packed to the tome, which means I have a instead of like a special weapon I carry around with me with warlocky power in there or other things that warlocks can do. I have a book instead, so where I can do, I get the ability to copy spells from other lists into the book at a certain level, and that's however many you can copy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, so this is at first though. Things really built up fast because at first it was just going to be my brother as a dungeon master and me. And we weren't quite sure if we could get anybody else in or if anybody else would be interested. So I I was, and to an extent still am, not a very good role player. I have to confess that. And the one of the biggest reasons that I have as proof of that is I was in the town, uh, North, North Spire. It's the name of my hometown in the game. 
and I was going to leave town. And I told the mayor of my town I was on a mission from God. Yeah. So that was, I was used to being in D&D with other people where I could bounce ideas off them about what to do next and where to go. And since I wasn't very well versed in what was going to happen or how things would end up, I was bumbling terribly. So, okay. So after that, I took my book with me after I got a message from my patron that I should head east to join a caravan that was headed out of town. Uh, part of my character's background was that he is, he's lived a hard life in the mountains. His parents are gone in his village. Basically he, based on how things played out, he's kind of like some strange combination of an outcast and a lovable village idiot. I, I don't know how else to explain it, even though he's not really an idiot. He just doesn't really fit in, even though he does care about those the people he basically grew up with, even though they're not like Asimar like him or anything. They're just like humans. And to to be fair, Asimars are also human as well. So that's not a problem. I'm just saying he didn't really fit in with anyone there. So I picked up my book which I may have already mentioned that I could not use until level three, which I had to research as well, and went east out of town. So uh, we ended up joining a group with a caravan with actually had a couple of the people that my brother had arranged for us to play with because we did actually get other people who were interested in joining the campaign to come play with us. But we had never met them before, which was an interesting dynamic to me because of the fact that our characters had never met before and we had never met before either. So it was quite interesting. So there was um, a fighter nobleman who became the face of the party because of his mission to investigate an evil cult, which I'll talk about later a little bit. And there was a wizard who was going to investigate the disappearance of some artifacts that are magical and they don't know exactly where, but his guild tasked him to like, go check it out. He's an elf, I believe. And our fighters human. And we also, I don't know. I can't remember if I wrote about this or not, but shortly after that, we also had a lizard folk druid join us as well. He was pretty cool. So, but before that <laughs> I had, cause as a result of my training as like, a farmer and things like that in the mountains. I carry a scythe, which I had used as a weapon or I had intended to use as a weapon and I have used, but mostly I had resorted to, you know, like spells and fire and everything else that warlocks would normally do. And it was interesting to me because my brother, as the DM was talking about, because our fighter, the nobleman has like three retainers who would like walk with him and like get things done if he needed things and run errands for him. And that one of the guys talked about something to the tune of a pale individual carrying a scythe around on his back. And he wasn't sure what was up <laughs> basically. And it was funny because I realized that without actually saying anything about it directly, that my brother was had to get other people to actually talk about me, <laughs> which was an interesting thing for me because it took me a little bit to realize like, Oh, they're talking about me. Oh, that's, that's interesting. 
Of course, I didn't know exactly who they were or what the deal was, so I told them the scythe was for bandits. Which, I mean, it could be true, it could not. And that was an interesting thing also to me. The, one of the things that I learned about this was like camaraderie and having to work together with people you don't really know or anything like that to just try to get along and get things done. But also, it's a strange thing for me in D&D, like, like I've read a lot of mysteries before and things like that where it's like you're outside the story and you're experiencing it, but it's a different thing for D&D to actually be inside the mystery itself and experiencing it that way. Because shortly after that, uh, we basically discovered this cult, evil cult, the cult of, I think it's Saronicus is the made-up name for it anyway. Uh, that they're like kidnapping people and doing strange things and talking about their ideals here and there. And it was just, they're, they're kind of weird and they're pretty evil as well. So our fighter turned out with tasked, was tasked with figuring out what was going on with them just to see what was what. And also I had also learned, I had kind of like fit it to fit in with that because so I kind of got attached to the fighter and his mission because I wanted to come along because I want to learn about technology to see if I could help my village so that they won't live as hard of a life. So if I could help the fighter out, discover about this evil cult, and also help my people out, I was fine with that. So I kind of became part of the group in that way to help him with his mission. is also interesting because of the fact that I also realized that I was part of a group, the group eventually, because when I had bought, we were going to buy some armor and I needed to, needed an upgrade. And it was like 25% of like everything we had and everybody else is fine with it eventually after I was dithering because it's like, if you need it, and you're like here with us, you can, you know, do not worry about that kind of a thing. Which was an interesting thing to me as well. Because I'm trying to balance how my character would act and think in a situation and how I would act and think as me if I were there. So that was an interesting thing to me and the, the signal to me that like, yes, I have something to offer this group. And yes, I absolutely I'm part of it. Which will also come into play a little later. Also, uh, I was also intimidated by the fact that the other three, well, we had a fourth guy, but he dropped out after a session or two. The other three had played D&D way more than I did, than I have. I mean, it's not that hard to play more games than two, but I think it's like possibly 10 or more and planning for even more than that. So they were also able to help me out a lot because there were things that I didn't know. Like I wouldn't have a folk hero background and have people be willing, commoners be willing to hide me and I can blend in with them if the guy who was the fighter hadn't suggested that I take up things like that as well as having a specialization with alchemy and being proficient with alchemist tools, which I hadn't really thought about that either because that was part of the game I didn't really know about. So that was helpful for them to do that. <laughs> also, as of one of the things that generally happens in D&D &D with like a shared experience with battle and things like that, 
were kind of all freaked out about scarecrows <laughs> because of the fact that some of our earlier really, really tough enemies were like these animated scarecrows and they were like nothing to mess with. When we were, we were higher level, it might have been okay, but we were lower level. And it was quite a fight in some instances. Okay, so a lot of things had kind of shifted to where we were focusing more on the fighter's mission because that was, let's face it, of everything I talked about, that was the most interesting. So we're trying to figure out everything we can about this evil cult. I don't know if it's going to come into play later or not, but I had figured out after I had left town, a bunch of my people from my village came to the same town. I was like, I don't know, three or four towns away and they like randomly showed up because someone had come to tell them that there was danger coming and they should leave. So I don't know how or if that's going to come into play. Uh, okay. We also added a barbarian later who someone who I had actually met in real life before. He was a pretty cool guy. We had to go to the military prison where he was at and negotiate kind of to get him out. Well, we really have to negotiate, but that was our, like our first meeting with him was basically inside a military prison under heavily armed guard, which added to a certain mystique of it, which is a pretty nice touch. Uh, there were other couple of things that had interested me that I'm only going to tell you because of the fact that it's funny, but in, during the time it happened, it wasn't uh, that I had, whenever I can use my tools to make certain stuff. So like with alchemy, I could make, well, I haven't really stretched the boundaries of what I can make, but at this point I made like anti-poison, poison, alchemist fire, stuff like that. Well, I have to do certain roles for that. It's intelligence and dexterity to be able to like a mix, whatever I want to mix. So there was this one time I had rolled so low on both of those rolls that I poisoned myself, which was not fun, but I was able at that point to uh, cast lesser restoration on myself, which cures poison, I believe. So that was fine, but it was, funny funny and terrible at the same time because if you're quote-unquote proficient you don't want to have it be known that you were like messing up kind of it's almost like an expert carpenter hitting himself in the thumb with a hammer so that's the equivalent of that so as we learned more and more about the evil cult we learned that they had like pins pins or necklaces like on their lapels that have a certain symbol on it that looks sort of like a compass. So we, as we had defeated these cultists, we were kind of gathering up these things to see what we could do to see what we could deduce from them. So basically we had hatched a plan where I would be wearing one of these symbols. I would go in, we were in a new town at that point that I was going to try to kind of infiltrate. Well, uh, that didn't go very well. I had gotten made. I failed a wisdom save, so they were able to cast. I think it is uh, either 
friends or some other kind of spell so that I was suggestible and I failed to save. So they were able to suggest certain things to me, which would be to go with them to an undisclosed location, which we had gotten, our group had gotten earrings by that time so that we could telepathically communicate with each other within 600 feet, which they proved worthless. So I was thrown in a cage and I lost my scythe, which as of this point in the campaign, I'm still down a scythe. So that kind of sucks. So after I staged a bit of a bumble to get out of there, finally, I can't remember how it happened, but it was our fighter and our druid had gone off to surveil a place to check it out to see because we were tasked by a king to figure out where all these mid-level management of these Saronicus people were and to get rid of them. So there were six of them. So our druid and our uh, fighter had a lead because they were checking things out with others and number one led to like number two which led to another one. So they were staking out this hideout. And uh, the druids sent a, I think it might have been a sparrow or some other kind of little birdie to the tavern where we were staying to tell us basically where they were going. But we had already left because we had ended up investigating a place that the fighter and druid had been before when we weren't with them to talk about other things because we had basically found out what they were talking about with the cultists to get more information so that we were caught up essentially on what they were doing now when we weren't with them so that we kind of knew kind of what they were doing a little bit. And it was kind of strange because we had almost gotten caught by a city guard in a place that had been wrecked up previous to our coming there, which was wild. And we, our barbarian staged a diversion with some fire to get us out of there. So that was helpful. But as a result of us missing that little birdie, we didn't know precisely what the fighter and druid were going to be up to. So they had to go into this hideout by themselves, just the two of them. And they were pretty powerful. By the time that they infiltrated this hideout, we were level eight. So we weren't slouches at the time. So, I mean, that would be okay as far as that went. But this all leads up to the part that I wanted to talk about before that, which is why I had to lay all this ground, like we're helping the fighter on his mission and we're going here and going there and helping him out. And we even rescued the dwarven champion of his noble house because strange things had happened with that. So we had gotten him back. So to make a long story short, uh, he, our fighter, got himself killed. Not that he, I mean, he wasn't being foolish or anything. It's just he had gotten knocked out and he had failed his first 
uh, death save, which is basically you roll a 20-sided die looking for, I think it's 10 or more for a success and less than 10 is a failure. And you want to accumulate three successes before three failures. Because if you hit three failures before you hit three successes, your character dies. So, which kind of sucked. And I mean, he had gotten knocked out before. I mean, we were able to use potion or whatever else to restore him to one hit point, which is all you need in D&D to get somebody back on their feet, which is fine. But it was... It was a bit of a mess because he had gone down. He had failed his first save. And they had also they had taken out the one of the cultist's six lieutenants. But there was another cleric there who kept was kept attacking him. So he had said basically to our druid, you know, take this guy out and then basically and finish the mission we were sent here to do. And then kind of like well, he didn't say it, but it was kind of like, that's more important and we'll figure out what to do with me later, basically. Because we had some time. I mean, there is some time between when you fall down and when you officially succeed or fail with your save. So it's not like you insta-death unless uh, it is insta-death if, if you were taken to twice the amount of hit points you would normally have, but in the minus so if you were 100 hit points, let's say, and you were taking 200 hit points down, you that's insta-death. But it didn't happen this way, so he got to do some saves. Well, he, he failed the first one, but he had gotten attacked while he was unconscious. And if you take damage while you're unconscious, it counts as two more failures. So that was three straight failures, and he was gone. So we don't know we were still kind of talking about what had happened because we don't know exactly how this is going to go because since I wasn't there, if, if I would have been there in theory, which I wasn't there because we missed the birdie, I would have been able to cast a revivify if I could have gotten to him within one minute to bring him back and that would have been fine. But I mean, there are other types of things that we could do in theory to make it so that he's we bring him back so it's not it's not permanent as such like if we're able to get his body to a church depending on what they could do in the world of D&D that we could help out with that also it's also interesting because the fighter wasn't quite sure whether he had kind of wanted to come back because he has was working on another character that he had maybe wanted to bring in. So he was kind of back and forth about that, which is rather interesting. So he had also talked about whether or not, because we had run into a region to the Nine Hells, and he kind of worked out a contract with him, so we don't know if that's going to factor in whether he would own the guy's, the fighter's soul or not, because you need both the soul and the body to do resurrection stuff in D&D. So, anyway. So it's kind of an up-in-the-air thing about that. But the interesting part about it was <laughs> that, and as of the time you're hearing this, 
this goes live, the D&D session where this is officially decided would be later that same day. So when you hear this, it'll be tonight. We'll have to probably still discuss this. Whether or not we want to bring him back or what's going to happen. Because until then, if we don't, because I'm the highest charisma character in the party, I would basically be leading the party now, which is another bit of a thing for me because of what I had discussed about how to, how terrible of a role player I am and things like that. Because without me, there's our fighter and there's our barbarian. He's rather charismatic, but he's also rather imposing. Then we have our lizard folk druid, and then we have our wizard fella. So other than that, it's just me as far as having the highest charisma and being persuasive. So we would have to figure out which direction to go in about leading the party to get this mission done and or our influential our influential slash personal missions that we all have to do that probably kind of tie in, but I am not quite sure at this point. But because of everything we had gone through with the fighter, it was it really bugged me as me being me and probably as my character as well that I couldn't be there to help out. Not that what I had done would have been any good or not, but I just wasn't sure because of the fact that I hadn't yet been given the I I missed that opportunity because things played out the way they played out. And sometimes Sometimes you can go back and fix things, and sometimes you can't fix them. So there is a little lack of a kind of a writing-specific or fiction-specific things in here. I did try to bring in some things as I went along, but there are other things I think you could pull out of this, even though they weren't specifically mentioned. And I would try to mention them, but I mean it's like about camaraderie and solving problems and like that. And as far as like trying to figure out what each person wants, that's that's kind of huge as well. It wasn't it wasn't brought up as much as far as in this campaign of D and D as it would be in normal life. But I mean, this is huge. Like having the fighter investigate this evil cult is basically his huge motivation. He'd been given uh, basically an assignment from his lord, this dwarven champion, to go like check it out. Because there have been strange goings on, and he wants to go do that. That's like his hidden motivator slash driving force for his character. So we were kind of all swept up in that. And it was pretty cool. So, I mean, there are certain other things to they are going to have to go on with this as we forge ahead to figure out which direction we'd like to go in. And, I mean, the fighter might have another character at this point, or we might be able to get him back. But I don't exactly know what's going to happen with that. But I do know that I'll enjoy it as far as that goes. Especially if that means I won't have to lead our D&D party for very long. But I will if I got to. It'll be a learning experience. Which is another interesting thing about fiction. Fictional characters as well as about prospects and solving problems. Because I think that if somebody has the kind of problem that is solvable with current methods and they just haven't found the right one. Once they do solve it, 
a lot of things in life clear up because they can put that energy that they were putting toward worrying about that problem or worrying about that issue toward a lot of other things. And I would say that is definitely a very good thing, no matter what. That'll be the end of this episode. I appreciate you guys hanging out. To learn more about the blog this podcast is connected to, you can visit it at fictionandcopydecoded.wordpress.com. You can learn about me there. You can also learn about me at my copywriting samples website, which is timealcopywriting.yolasite.com. Yolasite is one word. It's Y-O-L-A-S-I-T-E.com. And you can also support this podcast. Number one way to do that is by commenting, sharing, and subscribing to it wherever you listen to it, whether that's on Google Play, iTunes, or some other platform. You can also become a monthly contributor if you'd like to do that. For 99 cents a month, you'll get my thanks, which would be totally awesome, especially since I'm planning to do that in each episode where I have monthly contributors. For the next level, I think it's $4.99 a month. I'll give you part of the description of the show for your business or whatever else you're looking to promote. Go to if you have a service business or product business or what have you like that. And for $9.99, I'll plan to give you like a 30 to second to one minute ad in the show itself. So I'll need to learn about your business and who you serve and all kinds of neat stuff, but I'm cool with that if you are. So if you've got a business to promote, that's awesome. Anyway, you can get in touch with me on that if you'd like. Otherwise, we will catch you guys next time. Bye-bye.